for three. Win it! So Super, maybe in her last shot attempt in New York, hits the three. Perfection. Sue Bird, the all-time assist leader in the WNBA. Nobody better in the history of this game. Oh, 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 oh. Nobody better ever. Based on talent alone, Bird is different. Welcome to season three of Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. I'm your host, Jamie, and can I just take a minute to thank you all for your support? It's because of you that we're able to really make a difference for women in sport and raising the voices of Olympians and Paralympians across the globe. We're downloaded in over 47 countries, just launched our first fellowship program arming women and girls around the world with digital storytelling skills, and we're shifting towards becoming a global storytelling platform aka we're not just a podcast anymore. So season one was all about athletes seeking to compete in Tokyo. Season two, as you know, was about the athletes seeking to compete in Beijing. And finally, season three is what happens after the games. And who better to kick us off than one of the most important names in basketball right now? Hi, my name is Sue Bird. I am the point guard for the Seattle Storm in the WNBA, and I play basketball. Amazing. Let's get right to it. This is a tough one, but what gets you up in the morning? What is your why? Oh, I was going to say coffee, um, <laughs> or like the thought of coffee gets me out of bed. Um, my why? Whew. I don't know this is something I specifically think about every day, but I'm starting to feel like my nieces are a big part of my why. I have a nine and soon to be seven-year-old niece. So it's actually really cool because for a long time as a female athlete, we've been talking about wanting to make women's sports better. And now I'm like literally staring at a generation that could probably benefit from all of this. So it's really motivating. And according to Sue, she wouldn't be who she is today without her family. So I obviously had to sit down with her older sister to attest to the kind of aunt Sue is. I'm Jen Bird. I'm Sue's older sister, older by five years. And that's how I know her. <laughs> it's been pretty incredible to watch. Sue is like their pal, especially during the pandemic. But even before that, they FaceTime all the time. So the girls will wake up in the morning and they'll be like, hey, Sue. And Sue's like, hey, what's up? And they'll literally just like hang out on FaceTime for hours, like parallel playing sometimes, sometimes. That's not my personality. I'm not like... A I think it's like generational. She's a little younger, but literally she'll just hang with them. And then sometimes they talk about school and issues and things like that. But she's like a great person to hang out with. And then obviously like they totally look up to her and just think she's like the best and super cool and all those things. But yeah, it's really fun. It's just a very like easygoing, like close relationship. Sue looked up to her big sister. And it turns out that following Jen around all those years led her to discover some pretty awesome things about herself. My sister, who's five years older, played all different sports, not just basketball. She water skied. I wanted to water ski. She excelled at school. I wanted to excel at school. It was everything. So I joke that I'm lucky she picked up a basketball. I'm lucky she picked up a soccer ball. I'm lucky she ran track because athletics is where I found my comfort zone for sure. 
Sue is an unbelievable role model, both on and off the court. So I wanted to ask her about her work in activism. Sue, you've been an incredible activist for so many different causes. Where do you see your activism going in the future? I don't really necessarily connect with the title of activist. I think I'm more of like someone who's helping activists get their messages out. I just feel like when you are an activist, like that is a full-time job. I think the reason why I don't like being called it is because yes, I'm trying to do my part, but I'm not in the weeds. I'm not in the work the same way real activists are. It's too big of a compliment to have that title. But obviously I do feel very strongly about a lot of things, mostly things that are connected to sports, connected to women in sports, of course. I'm very passionate about that. We live in a world where most of us are constantly under attack by the very same people who claim to embrace acceptance. For us, love must be more than an empty phrase. For us, love is acknowledgement of our existence. It's resistance in the face of inhumane legislation. It's living in solidarity. And fighting until we all possess the same rights. Love is love. love is- Tell us about the, the Love Is campaign, and I'm totally getting a hoodie, by the way. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it started in 2019. That was our first hoodie drop. If I were to put that in, like, one sentence or less, it's that Pride Month is a month, right? And I know we can say this about so many things, but they only get a day, they only get a week, they only get a month. Well, we want to make it year-round. It doesn't have to be just a month. So that's what Love Is. That's kind of part of our mission statement. Right now, the focus is Trans Week, all the different political sides to it. We're partnered with Uninterrupted, and it's just, it's been amazing to see the impact it's already had on people, how people really respond to us, to the hoodie, to everything it represents. Bringing eyeballs to that is where our Love Is campaign is now, but we're actually going to grow that out in, in a lot of different ways, and I'm really excited about it. Sue's commitment to standing up for others isn't new, but... Her how has changed, how she does it. I asked Big Sis Jen how Sue has used her voice for others and how her style has changed over time. Sue has always been someone who knew the difference between wrong and right and stood up for others more individually when she was younger. I wouldn't say she was like out there championing social justice as like a child or a teenager, but there is like one great story, like a family story where every summer we would go to Saratoga and there was this family with eight children that lived close to where we lived in Saratoga. Sue played with them all the time. They kind of ranged in ages right around Sue's age. And so she comes one summer and the family tells her how there's this boy down the street who's bothering them, telling them that he's a better basketball player. He's going to beat them, essentially kind of like bullying them. So they tell Sue about this and she must have been, I don't know, like 10, 11, 12. I don't know. But she's like, let's set this up. Let's set up this game one-on-one. And so she plays him and beats him. And then that sort of like stops the bullying and kind of like the chitter chatter. So I feel like Sue is someone who always has stood up for others individually. And then it's really been like in the last five, six years or so, amazing to see her kind of really using her voice on a broader scale. Given that Sue has become increasingly outspoken alongside countless other athletes in the WNBA, I wanted to better understand the connection between social activism or social justice and specifically this organization. We were one of the first leagues, the Minnesota Lynx, one of the first teams to speak up on police brutality, even before 
Colin Kaepernick knelt. And I think what we learned in that year was, like I said, Minnesota was first, followed by the New York Liberty, I believe followed by the Phoenix Mercury. And then we were like, wait a minute, when our entire league got behind this and supported one another, it was louder, it was bigger. And that's where we, I believe, started to fully understand that. Sue, taking a look at the larger sports landscape, WNBA athletes in particular are leading the charge from an activism perspective. Why do you think this is? Easy question to answer. We're all impacted by it. We all have been impacted by it negatively for the most part. It's no secret at this point what the makeup of our league is, right? The exact numbers actually change every year, obviously, like with each draft class. But give or take, we're 70 or 80% people of color. We're obviously a woman's league. We have a large percentage in the LGBTQ community. And of course, what are the groups? that are marginalized most in our society. So we're all feeling these things. We also live where intersectionality lives because there's a lot of us in our league that aren't just one of those things, aren't just two of those things, aren't just three of those things. So we've felt what it is to be marginalized. And I think that's why we're so eager and willing to use our voices to speak up about these things and also share our platforms to help others. I think it started as just having to defend ourselves in a way And then we started to see like, oh, we can actually help other people too. Like this isn't just us. The more we help ourselves, we're helping other people at the same time. So that's kind of how it all started. Sometimes I like to just joke and be like, people tell athletes to shut up and dribble. And I like to joke. I'm like, we would have loved to. Nobody let us. All they did was tell us that our uniforms need to be tighter and that we're no good because we don't dunk. (laughs) Here we are, a product of our society. Whether it's navigating social injustices on or off the court, Big Sis Jen says Sue has always known where she's going. One aspect of Sue, Sue has like a phenomenal memory and sort of a map in her mind. I think this happened a couple of times, but there was one time I was in the car with my mother and with Sue. Sue's in the back seat. I'm in the front chatting with my mom. We're driving to one of Sue's soccer tournaments in who knows where, like New Jersey, Philadelphia, far from our house. Sue must have fallen asleep in the back. My mom and I are like, chat, chat, chat. We're driving. Sue wakes up and she's like, where are we? Like we had gone maybe an hour or so out of the way because my mom and I were just sort of like chatting. And this is before GPS. So you have to be on it and you need a navigator. And Sue is like the best navigator. So anyway, we then sort of like, she got us like back on track and we got to where we needed to go. And I I feel like this has happened before, but Sue just has sort of like this incredible memory, a mental map that she can keep like locations, people, faces, basketball courts, like song lyrics, all locked in her mind. It's very impressive. This mental mapping ability and strong sense of self in terms of the bigger picture turns out to be one of Sue's biggest assets in sports and was something Hall of Fame player and coach Don Staley recognized early on as well. Coach Staley has won three Olympic gold medals with Team USA as a player and later was head coach of another U.S. gold medal winning team. So she's both played and coached Sue. She's also head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, who just won the NCAA championships. I will say what I fondly remember most recently is the fact that when I was the head coach, she wanted our video playbook before she got there. 
So when she stepped on the floor, I didn't even have to coach. Like she knew where everybody needed to be. And she was doing Sue-like things and managing and, and, and showing people where they needed to be. And they had been in training camp the entire time. So it's just that elevated element that you cannot, under any circumstances, you really can't replace that. And I know there will be other point guards that will come through USA Basketball, but the way that she did it, she had no faults. She had no holes in her game. She was always extremely prepared. So that's what I remember the most. And I hope that young young players were watching her and seeing how she went about her business. Sue's fiance, Megan Rapino, knows a thing or two about Sue's strengths as well. So I asked her about something Megan said about her publicly. I know you and Megan have talked about being power brokers. What does she mean by that? And why does it matter? She would be the better one to define that. I'm focused for both of us to become like a power broker. I think really what we're trying to do is force multiply everything that we can from soccer, everything that we can from basketball, the WNBA, and everything that came from this cultural moment. Like, how can we be a part of really bringing women's sports to where it needs to be? I think a lot of people refer to us as a power couple. I think the point is, we don't want to just be these two people who were really good at their sports. They happen to be dating. And so you're going to get attention that way. We don't want to just be just that. We want to help leverage that, use that, and help change. I mean, literally help change the world. So that's kind of how we do it. Well, from my vantage point, you're 100% doing that. If you don't mind sharing, how do you support Megan and how does she support you? And how do you champion each other's sport? Yeah, I think the ways in which we support each other are kind of the obvious ones, right? All the all the ways in which you would obviously support somebody, right? Showing up for games or on a bad day being there. But I think where we help each other the most is some of these conversations are hard and some of them require getting into, you know, whether it's diving into the educational part of it, diving into like how it makes you feel. I think the trans topic is, is a great one because we're not as educated as we are on so many other societal issues. So it's great to have somebody at home that we can both come home and kind of just share how we're thinking, how we're feeling and bounce different things off of each other, gaming it all out, so to speak. So I feel like that's one way in which we're able to support each other. And that is in regards to anything, whether it's topics like what I just said, like trans, whether it's talking about our own sports, whether maybe we're having an issue with a coach, maybe we're having an issue with a teammate, maybe something's going on with our families. Coach Daly, you've known Sue for a really long time. On TV, we really can't see a lot of what goes on behind the scenes. How has she changed over the years? As a teammate of Sue, very early on, I would say that I, I've seen the the real younger and the youngest version of Sue, where Sue and Diana, uh, her comrade, they knew in, in, in 2004 at the Olympics that they weren't going to be leaned on a whole lot. For those unfamiliar, Coach Daly is referring to Diana Taurasi, legendary basketball star for the Phoenix Mercury. Tarazi ahead to Bird. Beautiful pass and a great job by Bird to run the court. Did you see how she flipped that pass down there? 
Yeah, so they had fun. I mean, they had a lot of fun. I mean, they came to practice and they did well in practice. But as soon as practice was over, they spent every bit of their, I don't know, they were 22 and 23 years old. I mean, loving up on the, the entire experience and fast forward to spending her, her last Olympic Games, she still had fun, but it was just different. She was just very professional. This is where things have to get done. I'm not going to lose my fifth Olympic gold medal. There's nothing going to get in the way of that. And it was very business-like, professional-like, but I mean, she's cool. She meets you where you are, and then she'll take you, if you're on her team, to where we needed to go, which was win a gold medal. So you're a five-time Olympic gold medalist, and you've also had an unbelievable domestic track record. So how do you think of the Olympics versus playing domestically? Obviously, I knew the Olympics were big. Tokyo will likely be Bird's last Olympics. One last chance to see one of the sport's best. A woman whose gifts to the game fly well above simple statistics. I mean, they were big for me because there was no WNBA growing up. So all I saw was the Olympics. That was like the end-all be-all. So the Olympics already had a different vibe to it for me. But I had also played at Connecticut and we had huge fan base and I was seeing Mm. that part of it, which was really cool. And of course in America, it's very like, I'm a fan of the university of Connecticut. You don't care who's there, what's happening. It's like, go UConn. But regardless, you're playing for this one thing, this one city, this one school. So for the Olympics, go to Athens, my first Olympics, amazing experience. Don Staley actually gets selected to be the flag bearer. So we're walking in to the stadium in the front. It was epic. And I, again, I, I knew the Olympics was a big deal. People were going bananas. It was awesome. It was on my flight home. Obviously, I had my gold medal with me. I joke. I'm like, because you're not checking that. It's, you know, like, no way. Like, yeah, hell staying no. <laughs> on my body. Yeah, literally on like my body. in here. Yeah. Exactly. So I get on the plane. And at some point, the flight attendant comes up to me and she's like, hey, she was like, are you Sue Bird? And I was like, yeah. She was like, are you like coming from the Olympics? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, congratulations, all this stuff. And then she was like, do you have your gold medal? And I was like, I do. And she was like, the pilots would love to see it. And I was like, okay, sure. So take it out. She's looking at it, takes it to the pilots. I don't see it for a while. Before I know it, the gold medal, with my permission, is just being passed around the plane. Like everybody just wants to touch this gold medal. It's not every day, you know, you come across one of those. So it was in that moment where I was like, oh, this is different. The whole country is cheering for you. That's what playing for the national team is. Everybody is cheering for you as an American. So that was pretty, that really hit home. That was the moment where I was like, this is different. The reason why you play, that's what makes the Olympics different. Hmm. Why do you play? I think it's like twofold. It's one, because you realize you're representing all these people. So you realize when you have USA on your jersey, it's about way more than just you. And then obviously as a competitive athlete, there's only 12 picks. So wow, I'm going to be selected as one of the 12 best out of the whole United States. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to go compete against other countries, 12 best, who basically, because we win all the time, want to beat us so bad. And usually everywhere we go, people are cheering against us. So just like the challenge of that, like the honor of that, and then simultaneously the challenge of that. How do you view women's sports internationally versus domestically? Any differences you would want to spotlight or things that you think can apply from one to the other? 
Yeah, this is a nuanced question. Even though we have our issues, our national team, the way we're treated, the WNBA and and where we're going with that, we're still light years ahead what a lot of these other countries have to deal with. But the nuance comes into the fact that you hear about us having to go overseas because that's where we make a lot of money. The difference is the business models aren't the same. So it's really comparing apples and oranges. That's what's kind of unique about it is that in the same breath, I'm like, yeah, but I went overseas and I made more money over there. So, and we're treated very well over there, right? Mm. That's very specific to each team. That's not a league thing, but the teams I was on, we chartered, I had a driver, anything I needed or wanted, I'd call it like, they take care of you very well. Like I said, it's just nuanced. Sue, you've had so many incredible moments. What moment are you most proud of? This is like impossible. And that sounds like it's like first world problems. I've won so much, it's impossible to pick, but it kind of is. It's like one of two championships, either 2018 in Seattle, but Seattle. then also 2020. But probably now that we're talking about it, probably 2018. And the only reason what makes it different is, I mean, I could have easily retired in 2016, 2017. I was on borrowed time. I still am on borrowed time. So that was such a surprise. We were going through a rebuild. We had started that rebuild in 2015. So three years later to to even be in the finals was mind blowing. So Hmm. the fact that we actually figured it out and won Again, it just wasn't in, it wasn't in the plans. It just wasn't there for me. I just never, I didn't think I'd ever be playing in the WNBA finals again. What are your hopes for the future of the WNBA on their 50th anniversary? So 2047. I hope I'm like the older disgruntled athlete. That's like, I didn't, I didn't get to sign for a million dollars. You know how you always hear like those older players, like I didn't get to make that money, but I really, I actually, I like genuinely hope that happens because A, it'll mean that all the work we're doing now worked mm-hmm. and B, it just means that women's basketball in the WNBA will be in an amazing position. So mm-hmm. I, I, I genuinely hope that the players at that point will be signing million dollar deals and that the revenue share between the players in the league mm-hmm. will be somewhere in the 50-50 range, maybe a little bit more on our side. But that that I think those two things are, are indicators. You could throw charter flights in there too. So we have listeners in 47 countries and counting, many of whom are huge sports fans and advocates for women athletes. How can they help us actually make this happen? The quick answer is, of course, buying tickets or if you're not in the U.S., buying jerseys, supporting any any way that fits for your finances, supporting mm-hmm. financially is always a big key. I do think, you know, helping change conversations, whether it's like you're at the dinner table with your family, women's sports comes up and they're talking crap about it. Don't be afraid to be the, the voice in the room. And I say that knowing that it's not easy. Like it's actually not easy. I've been in so many rooms, quote unquote rooms, where something's said and I'm like, oh God. <sighs> That was, I need to say something, but, uh, and it's not easy. Yeah. I've missed many opportunities to do it, but that's why I think it's so important that it has a lasting impact. When you look back at women's basketball players today, what and who gives you hope for the future? Oh, all of them. When I watch the college games, there's just so much talent. I think for a long time in the WNBA, our drafts have always been based around like which player is going to help you get a championship now. And so mm. they draft with those with those goggles on. 
And so you end up picking what might be the most talented at the moment and you fall in love with certain things. But in reality, I think the WNBA is slowly getting to a place where you're going to start seeing players who have talent. Clearly, you wouldn't be in the draft if you didn't, but maybe need a couple years to yeah. change change things in their game or adjust. And so the evaluation of the college players needs to change. We have a lot of young talent and I think I think they need time to develop. There's one that jumped off the page and it's Marina Mabry. Mabry the pull up, yes, and a foul. Well, now she's cooking on the left side. And I think what I love most about her story is she had a lot of doubters coming out of, out of college, a lot of question marks. Marina is a great example of somebody that came into the league and she actually did well. It wasn't that she did poorly. She was, I think, a second round pick, made her team in L.A. So she did well. But the jump she's made in the last like year or two, you saw it a little bit in the bubble as well. That's just a player working on their game, getting better. That's what I'm really seeing in a lot of these young players. Like, Give them a chance to develop. Don't write them off right away. Turns out the love is mutual. Here's rising star Marina Mabry reflecting on how Sue has inspired her. I mean, I've been watching Sue Bird forever like, since I was a kid, and I'm sure everyone can say that. But um, some things I really took from her is like, she's made it cool to, to put WNBA players in commercials and have them be representatives for large corporations, large companies. And it's inspiring as a younger player to see her do that and see her be one of the first people that's really being on all these top platforms and being able to use her platform the way she does. And it's, it makes people want to be better and want to fight things for more. I'm grateful to be able to have learned from somebody like that. And even though I didn't play alongside of her, she's also, she's so worldwide and she's everywhere and she's doing so many things that it's easy to, to learn from her and pick up things that you can do as a player and on and off the court. According to coach Staley, Sue's attitude gives her hope. I would say Sue embodies success by by never cheating the game, like never. And some people may equate success with gold medals and, and WNBA championships. I think Sue equates it as just never cheating the game, always giving your best effort, never sacrificing the game for something else that's meaningless. With all of this love, I wanted to know how it's shaped who she is. What would you say to your younger self? So little Sue is listening in. What are you going to tell her? I think um, somewhere in the in the like theme of be yourself is, is where I would start. I think for me growing up, I was definitely trying to fit in while simultaneously trying to figure out who I was. And it wasn't always easy. I think I would tell my younger self, don't worry about being embarrassed, right? Like both socially in basketball. I feel like I'm like a huge victim to this. Like I do care what people think, not, not in a negative way. And I do think it's important to make sure you're valuing the right people when you care what people think, right? Like don't care what everybody thinks. Don't care what haters think or whatever you want to call them. The people you value, like I do care what they think. And I do want to show up in the right ways simultaneously you really only grow when you stretch yourself. You really only grow. So in basketball, like the best way, I think the best kind of example is I'm never going to be good at a certain skill. Let's say ball handling. 
unless I go out there and mess up a lot, right? Like you have to go out there, but the embarrassment of it can hold you back. Not wanting to make mistakes, that part can really hold you back. So I think for me as a younger kid, that played a huge role. That held me back in in my growth at different points, both on and off the court. So I think that's what I would tell my younger self. Like, don't stress the embarrassment. Since our interview, Sue has announced her retirement. Here's Coach Staley on Sue's legacy to the sport. Her legacy is, is just her passion and love for the game. And her long, you can't say that without including the longevity because she's, I mean, she's 40, 40 years old. She's a cheat code, really. She's a cheat code. And, and I know Sue gave us basketball for a long time. Not everybody can do that. Probably 1% of, of people playing could actually do what she, what we witnessed her doing. And at a high level, yeah, the other 1% is probably LeBron James. Like, seriously, like they don't, they don't age. And I, here's the thing, I know Sue hurts. I know she, our body hurt. She's so mentally tough. But certainly we're gonna hear about her, her career, her journey for, for a long time, like now and, and forever. Coach Daly, what do you wanna say to Sue? I mean, the only thing I would say to Sue is uh, thank you. I mean, simply thanks. If I had, you know, a thousand tongues um, saying thank you would not be enough, I want you to enjoy this next phase of your journey because I know I'm not going to say retirement because you'll continue to work for the greater good of our sport. You'll continue to open up doors that have been shut, closed, tight forever for our sport and for women. So I prayfully, prayerfully wish you strength, competence, and the ability to continue to to move our sport forward. So, Sue Bird, from me to you, I love you. Marina, what would you like to say to Sue? Thank you. She paved the way as somebody that looks just like me that I can look up to, follow in the footsteps and have some direction on where to go because she inspired me for sure to get into activism in women's sports and make my impact known, not only on the court, but off the court for other people. And I feel like her being so selfless to the sport and to her teammates and stuff has ended up rewarding her in a lot of ways and in the game. So obviously the game will never be the same without her. She said the example for all of us. Jen, what would you like to say to Sue? We're so proud of her for everything she's done so far. And she has so many exciting, amazing options ahead of her. And we're just certain that whatever she does next, like will be just as amazing. And we're kind of excited to see. Yeah, just so proud of her, like who she's been her whole life and in this moment. Last, but certainly not least, here are Sue's nieces on what they want to say to Sue. I love you. This is Zoe. Um, we're super proud of you now, but you're finished with basketball. Love you. Hi, Sue. This is Alex. I love you, and I want you to keep playing basketball, and I can't believe you actually finished. I want you to play five more years! Bye-bye. Sue, before we wrap up, 
what is the one action you want listeners to take after they tune into your episode? To maybe stop comparing men's and women's sports. I think that's just a trap. It's just, that's not what it's about. It's, it's being able to like respect the differences, right? I actually came across this quote and it was, we're able to recognize men and women as equal because we recognize that they're different. And I just thought it was so, because a lot of the issues that come across or come up in women's basketball is that we just immediately get compared to the men. And really what that does is, not only does it not respect the ways in which we show up on the court, it's actually gonna hurt the ways in which we can grow our game and grow the business off the court because you never get past it. It's just, you're always putting it down. So I, I always challenge people like, why are you doing that? Like, what is it about that comparison that you feel like you have to jump into it? And I feel like a lot of times it's something internal, right? Like a lot of guys compare us because they wanna make themselves feel better about something. And so that's always my challenge is to ask yourself why you're doing the comparison and, and try to get away from it. Thanks for tuning in to Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. For more behind the scenes coverage, follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Flame Bears. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a positive review. We'd really appreciate it and it matters. If you missed our two incredible seasons coverage, go back and give them a listen. Thank you to Dino Catano and Emma Minto for your ongoing support to the Harvard Kennedy School for helping us get off the ground, and to our family and friends for always being there. We'll catch you on our next episode.